Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Matt Leader. And I'm Craig Dickinson. Today on the show, we have some special audio from a Zoom session we did with Ian Desher, the author of the William Shakespeare Star Wars series, and Jeff McGee from Marvin Dog Media. And both these guys were uh, gracious enough to join my classes for an extended conversation about Star Wars, where the kids got a chance to ask individual questions of both these guys and I uh, got to hear a lot of interesting takes on some, some questions the kids have prepared, and we hope you enjoy that audio. Morning. Good morning. Hey, how's it going, Ian? Good. How are you, Craig? Great. Uh, so what I got set up this time is I've got um, kind of like in a, at a convention, essentially. I've got the, the boom mic here, and they're, they're in a line. They'll just come up, and they can see you, and you can see them, and hopefully the audio is pretty good, and yeah. we'll just kind of go one at a time if that sounds good to you. Sounds great. Perfect. All right. So when you guys are ready, go ahead and, and come up here. If you're not talking, I just ask that you listen uh, respectfully because they might have the same question that you have too, and you don't necessarily want to ask the same question. So thank you. Go ahead. When you were writing Shakespeare, how did it feel for you? Um, it was really fun. Um, I, I really, uh, I really love the star Wars movies and I, uh, really enjoy the exercise of trying to write in Shakespeare's style. And so, um, so doing those things together, um, it was always a, a joy. It never felt like a chore to sit down and, and write. It always felt like something I, I was having fun doing. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Hayden. <laughs> Good job, Hayden. Hello. Hi. Uh, so when you were writing the Shakespeare Star Wars, what do you think was the most memorable quote, quote and why? Oh, um, I mean, that's a good question. I, it's, it's interesting because there, there's sort of two different like levels of that question, right? Because there are some really, really famous quotes from the movies, mm -hmm. right? Um, things like these aren't the droids you're looking for and things like that, that I tried to make sure I sort of kept the spirit of. And then there are things that I added that are sort of like, um, you know, like soliloquies, uh, speeches for for different characters, um, sort of talking about how they feel. Mm -hmm. And so um, if we're talking about the the second category of sort of stuff that I added, I, I, I really like some of the I really liked writing those speeches for characters where you get to get inside their heads and sort of figure out what they're feeling in that moment. Um, and so I, I uh, like, I, like I wrote a speech for Obi-Wan just about, just before he decides to let himself be killed by Darth Vader. And, and um, I like that speech because it, it, you know, in the movie, when you see him do that, you're not really sure what, why he does it or what he's thinking in that moment. Um, and so I liked sort of trying to explain, you know, why he might do something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, hello. Hi. So I have a very simple question. I just wanted to know what your favorite character is from Star Wars. Han Solo. Han Always. Solo? Yeah. Why? Uh, he was, I mean, I was, you know, like four or five, six when I started watching the Star Wars movies. And uh, he just seemed like such a cool, relaxed character. He always, you know, had a joke. He always had an answer. He was good a good pilot and good in a fight that sort of thing right and so he just seemed like a really cool guy 
Yeah. All right, thank you. Thanks. Um, what do you think ultimately is the point in which Luke becomes a Jedi? Hmm. That's a good question. I, um, it's, that's a really good question. I think it's maybe when he loses the first lightsaber battle to Darth Vader and has to sort of come to terms with that, um, that loss and what all of that means. And the fact that he had gone too quickly to try to fight him and all of those things, yeah. um, because, you know, or, or actually maybe maybe it's really during the second fight with Darth Vader when he decides not to kill Darth Vader, right? He has the opportunity to kill him, but then he doesn't. Um, maybe that's really the moment. It's a good question. It's a good, good question. Yeah. Thank you. I have a question about Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. So if you think, or if you think about how he switched to the dark side, if he didn't fully turn to the dark side and he was still a Jedi master without being evil, you know, do you mm -hmm. think it would display his affection for Padme differently? Well, presumably if he hadn't turned to the, to the dark side, they would have had to figure out, I mean, if, if Jedi aren't supposed to have attachments to people, they would have had to figure out how that was going to work, right? Um, uh, how they were going to have some sort of relationship. Would, you know, would he stop being a Jedi and become a father to those, to the to Luke and Leia? Um, would he have, it's really fun. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the, the Marvel uh, animated series, What If? Right, it's sort of fun to do that. Like, what if for Star Wars? What if Anakin had never uh, had never turned to the dark side? And so, yeah, I I think that the more I'm sort of thinking about it, he would have had to make a choice between being a Jedi or being with Padme. And I think maybe ultimately he would have chosen being with Padme because I think that ultimately what was missing in Anakin was sort of the like love and relationship that he uh, that he needed. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Awesome. Good question. What did you think about the first meeting of Anakin and Padme? Mm, I think it's pretty corny. Um, uh, you know, it was interesting when I was writing my books and I came across these things, especially, I mean, especially this first scene between a little boy and a girl where you're like, they're trying to plant seeds of romance, but it feels really awkward and weird because it's a little boy and, you know, a, a, a teenage girl, you know. And so, um, so I, I think it's, I, I tried to sort of, I don't know, ma make that romance happen a little better. Anyway, I think it's very awkward. I think, I think that first scene between the two of them is, is, is very, very awkward and, um, I don't know how else, how else you do that, um, but, but I, yeah, it's it's not a comfortable scene when I watch it. Okay. There you go. Thanks. See honesty. That's good. Hi. Uh, Hi. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of Return of the Jedi. Uh, it was it was the first one I saw in the theater, and so I uh, I just always loved it. Um, 
What are your impressions of Jabal Hut and his palace? I mean, and, and that's like my favorite part of Return of the Jedi, right? That whole first sequence with Jabba and his palace, you're like, uh, it's just so fun because you're you're walking in, and you get to see all these all these characters, you know, all these different creatures, and um, and you've got Jabba who is. When I was a kid, we had uh, my family had on on VHS, we had the like uh, making of Return of the Jedi essentially. And so you got to see how there were seven different different puppeteers who are working Jabba at once. Um, and it just, it, it ends up looking so good and so realistic um, that you forget that it's, you know, a special effect. It just seems like a, like a character up there. And so um, I love that whole, that whole sequence. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically, I think what makes Return of the Jedi my favorite. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Hi. Hi. Um, out of all the in in Star Wars in general, out of all the characters that are not human, which one would be your favorite? Like, for example, droids or Wookies. Well, I mean, if if we're talking about okay. I always really loved uh, the hammerhead creature in the cantina. Um, the this uh, I, I know it. I'm, I'm forgetting its actual its his actual name. Uh, but uh, and then I always loved the um, bounty hunter Bosk. So those are like two really small, non-human uh, characters. I guess if we're talking about sort of within the realm, like like of sort of more main characters. Um, I mean, it's hard not to love R two D two. I also, it's also hard not to love BB eight. Uh, BB eight is so sort of sweet and innocent and and everything. Um, so, uh, those would be my answers for, you know, for ones who are actual sort of bigger characters. Mm-hmm. And um, who is your favorite character to write in like the sh- the Shakespearean style? You know. Yeah, um, I really like writing for villains. I'm not sure what that says about me, uh, but but I really like Darth Vader. I really like writing for Emperor Palpatine because uh, you get to, you know, you sort of get to get in the mind of somebody who's just really bad, really dark. And that's kind of fun sometimes. And then, you know, then I don't have to be that way in my normal life. I can just write them in the characters. Uh, so yeah, that was fun. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Hi. Hi. Um, how long did it take you to like write the William Shakespeare Star Wars books? So the, the first book took me about four months or so. Um, working, you know, I, I, I had a day job, I have a day job. So I worked in the evenings and things like that. Um, so about four months. As I, as I continued to write them, it got easier to do because uh, writing in Shakespeare style got easier and, and that sort of thing. And so by the by my most recent book, it was really just about a month for the first uh, first draft. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, why do you think Luke finally gave in to his anger in Return Return of the Jedi? Well, I don't actually think he gave in to his anger in Return of the Jedi. Ultimately, I mean, he he does when when Darth Vader uh, sort of. Uh, 
dangles Leia in front of him, you know, and and says, you know, that he's going to go after Luke's sister. Um, that sort of is the the last straw for Luke, I think, where he's he's, you know, I mean, indirectly, Darth Vader has already sort of taken away Luke's aunt and uncle and Obi-Wan and, you know, a lot of people who are close to him. And I think the thought of one more person is too much for Luke. Um, and so he does, of course, come out and expresses his anger, but then ultimately controls it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Hi. Hi. So out of all the Shakespeare adaptations of the characters, which one is like your favorite adaptation of like a character? Uh, I mean, again, I really enjoyed doing the, the villains. I also, I, um, I, I liked what I did with Jar Jar Binks because um, he is sort of a, um, some people think he's a great character. Some people think he's a terrible character. Um, and I was able to sort of take him, Lucasfilm let me take him and and make him so that when he's talking with other characters, he's like he is in the movie, he's pretty dumb. But then when he's on his own, you see that he's actually uh, very wise and very smart and sort of uh, is trying to sort of, you know, shape things in the way he wants them to go. And so uh, that was really fun to do. And um, what are your impressions of Order 66? Um, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite sequences in any of the Star Wars movies, just because it's so, I appreciate that they sort of did it all without dialogue. It's so, it's so, it really hits you, you know, it, like it's so dark, you know, with all the Jedi dying in all these different places. Um, and so uh, I think it's a really powerful um, scene. Yeah. When I had, when I adapted it, I had to change it because, um, you know, in, in Shakespeare, you wouldn't just have a, a silent scene where things are happening without anybody talking about it. So I sort of uh, had Emperor Palpatine uh, describe everything that's going on, you know, in various parts of the galaxy. Uh, yeah. So, but, but yeah, I guess that's my answer. All right. Go Seahawks. Oh, hi. Hi. Why do you think Darth Vader is obsessed with finding Luke? I mean, I think for in a lot of ways, he realizes that Luke is his last connection to Padme. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, he believes that that Padme, uh, well, first believes that it was because of him that she died, believed that she died without having any children or anything like that. And so to. Or with the, I think I think the lie that the emperor tells is that the children die also, um, or maybe he just doesn't know about the pregnancy. I don't remember. I'm sure Craig remembers. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the the point is that, that like then when he realizes that he has a son who's out there who's Padme's child, um, I think that becomes an obsession for him, uh, and and he he feels like it's it's in some ways a way to to. Uh, Find some sort of connection to Padme. Why did the films take place a long time ago? It's a good question. Um, I think it's mostly because 
I honestly don't know. I'd like to say that there's like probably a lot of like justification for it and planning and that sort of thing. But honestly, I feel like it's just a way of setting a tone for a story, right? It's like once upon a time, right? Um, and so, I mean, th those words have become so famous, right? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? And it's just this, it's such a way to set a tone for, for this story. Um, and yeah, I mean, we can look on that now and say, well, that doesn't I mean, you know, the, the thing you always hear about that is right. Like, well, their technology is so much far, farther beyond where ours is, which could make perfect sense. There could be whole societies who have grown up and had all this technology and then, you know, who knows where they are now. And, um, but I think it's mostly because it's, it's a way of setting a tone for a story. You think Lando Calrissian redeemed himself as a friend? I think ultimately he did. Um, I don't, I don't think he necessarily did by the end of, uh, the Empire Strikes Back, but I think by the end of Return of the Jedi, he did. Uh, yeah, being part of the rescue mission to save Han, going on to fight with the rebellion. Uh, yeah, I think I think by then he did. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. How has Anakin's loss of his mother impacted his decision making? Uh, I mean, it's it's like everything. I think uh, in terms of his decision making, it 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 is it fundamentally affects just about every decision that he makes um, because it is what makes him receptive to the emperor or to Palpatine talking about, um, you know, trying to help somebody live forever and not die. Um, it's what makes him so concerned about Padme. It's what makes him start rejecting some of the things that uh, Obi-Wan is saying. It, it's really like, I think it's, it's, it is the, sort of foundational story for his life, you know, in, in the same way in which, uh, you know, something can happen to somebody when they're, they're young and it, and it just becomes the main thing that, that have leads their life. That's exactly what it is for Anakin. Thank you. Thanks. Hello. Um, so why do you think that Han Solo didn't believe in the force and and you hope? Um, I mean, I think he hasn't, he hasn't seen it. He's lived by his, his wits and he, uh, you know, he, I mean, he, I think he says it best himself, right? He's, he's been all over the galaxy and he's never, he just never had any evidence, right? Um, it's the, the same reason that any of us might not believe something right is because we haven't seen the evidence for it. So he doesn't, um, he hasn't yet had any reason to believe in the force. And, and it's not really until he meets Luke and Obi-Wan that he gets a reason. Thank you. Thanks. Um, why did you want to make the Shakespeare version of star Wars? It just felt like a really fun idea. I mean, it, first of all, it's combining two things that I really love. Um, and um, it seemed like, you know, the, the length of a Star Wars movie is about two hours, which is about the length of a Shakespeare play. And so, you know, it seemed like the the overall length was about right. Um, 
it I knew that it was a really powerful story and that you could get in into like you know like I was saying earlier uh, get into characters heads and and really get at what they're thinking which is what Shakespeare, part of what Shakespeare is so good at um, so it just felt like something that would really work although I will say it wasn't until I actually sat down and started writing it that I that I really thought it would work I mean I you know I had the idea and I was like I don't know if this is gonna work at all and it wasn't until I sat down and started writing you know, and had done a couple of scenes and I was like, yeah, I think this is, I think this is working. Thank you. Thanks. Um, what's your opinion on the force? What's my opinion on the force? Uh, I think it's really interesting how in Star Wars and especially as the the movies and the shows have developed over time, how they have presented the force as um, one belief among a whole bunch of different beliefs that, that are in that galaxy. Um, and, and I think that, you know, obviously the movies and the shows are, are trying to show that it's a true belief, right? Um, it's clearly people are using the force and it's, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I think it's a really, I think it may be one of George Lucas's most powerful ideas is this idea of, of the force. Um, I think that it, um, I think it affects the way that we think about all kinds of things um, because Star Wars is such a uh, cultural force all around the world. Um, and, and so I, I think that, um, I think it may, may be one of his best ideas was this idea of, of the force. Um, yeah, it, it, it works so well. I mean, Star Wars is, a, is like our modern mythology, right? It's like, you know, the ancient Greeks had their stories about, um, you know, the gods and the goddesses and all that kind of thing. And like, for us, in modern times, we have Star Wars. And I think the force is a big part of that. Okay, thank you. Um, why do you think Dark Vader is obsessed with finding Luke? Uh, yeah, I think we, I, I think I mentioned this earlier. I think it's just that he, it's his last connection to Padme and he, he, uh, really wants to, um, uh, find a way to, to hold on to something that he had before. Thank you. Why can't the Jedi tell who Darth Sidious is? Yeah, that's a good question. I the impression that I get um, from what's said in the movies is is that the Jedi have sort of become a little too um, a little too oops, sorry a little too powerful a little too um, uh, not, that's not quite the right word but. Um, They've become too sure of themselves. They bec they've become a little bit uh, egotistical, maybe, and so it it is sort of clouding what they're able to to see. And so, um, because of this sort of exalted position they find themselves in, um, in some ways, I think their powers are, are weakening a little bit. And so they are missing this this force that's rising among them. Thank you. Thanks. So uh, do you have uh, time for like one more? It looks like I had you till 9, 10, and I want to make sure I'm respecting your time. It's great. Okay. 
Hi, what do you think about the emperor? Um, I mean, I think it, from a writing perspective, as as I mentioned, like I, I really enjoy writing for him. Um, uh, he was a fun character to sort of get inside his head. Um, I think it's really interesting to sort of look at his motivations as time goes on and the ways in which he's willing to just sort of he's a really good villain right um it, i i think i think he gets in some ways gets overshadowed uh by darth vader in the movies um darth, because darth vader is such a popular villain and that sort of thing right but i think palpatine is also a a really um uh a really a really strong villain it, I mean, thinking about Shakespeare, um, Palpatine is sort of like um, Iago, which is this character in uh, the play Othello, who's just, he's just evil. Like there's just kind of no good to him or anything like that, right? And that's what, that's kind of what Palpatine's like. Vader, you know, eventually there's good to him and, and it's, he sort of comes back to, back around, um, but not Palpatine. And I think that's kind of fun. All right, thank you. Awesome, thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you all, and uh, happy nearly end of school. Yeah. All right. Bye. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So we got a line, just kind of like at the convention. I got a boom mic set up, and they're going to just come up and talk to you, and they're supposed to ask you, like, one question, and then we'll just go from there. Excellent. Sounds good. And nice poster behind you you got there. Thank you. Yeah, it was a gift. Uh, we, uh, Pam and I went to see the 40th anniversary a couple of years ago. And I said, I'd really like to have one of those posters. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, one shows up in the mail that she had ordered for me. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. All right, Charles, whenever you're ready. Uh, Hi, Charles. Hello. Um, during, uh, the return of the Jedi, when Yoda tells Luke to truly become a Jedi, uh, he has to confront Darth Vader. What did you think about that? That always kind of confused me when I was a kid um, because I, I was, what, seven or eight when Return of the Jedi came out. And it always kind of confused me because I thought, so does that mean that every Jedi that came before him had to do the same thing? Like they had to had to confront like a nemesis. Um, and to me, as I've, as I've gotten older, what I've come to realize is what he means is you're not truly going to be a Jedi until you bring balance to the force. And that requires you confronting Vader. Now, what I never understood now that we know the full story is why he never mentioned the emperor being a Sith. So to me, it always sort of meant uh, it, it was less about becoming a Jedi and more about bringing balance to the force. Does that make sense? Yes. What did it what did it mean to you? Um, I thought like since it was his dad that since I already said that it was his father, like he had to come to terms with it probably or like fight him or something. That's also good. Yeah. Yeah. Also very valid. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Good morning. Um, what's your favorite Star Wars character? Oh, my favorite Star Wars character, that's easy. It's Han Solo. Uh, the first Star Wars movie I got to see was The Empire Strikes Back. My brother took me to see it in the theater when I was three years old. And when Han turned around to Chewie and said, laugh it up, fuzzball, for some reason to my three-year-old brain, that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. And it went so far as to... It was so bad that when I was a kid, I had convinced myself that Star Wars was actually Han Solo's story. 
And Luke Skywalker was just kind of a side character. And as I've gotten older, I've had to sort of realize that it's actually the opposite. But yeah, Han is definitely my favorite. What about you? I don't know. You don't know? Hi, thank you. All right, thanks. Uh, hello. Good morning. Uh, well, I'm going to ask since you're a podcaster, right? Right. So right. have you act? Have you actually acted out as one of the characters from Star Wars? Actually, I have. I used to do a podcast called Assembly of Geeks with my friend Scott, and we would always do sketches during the show. It was part of the show. And he rewrote the uh, the scene in The Empire Strikes Back when Han and Leia kiss. So I actually got to play Han Solo in that scene. It was one of the... I'm also an actor on the side, so it was doubly thrilling for me to be able to not only act in a Star Wars scene, but also play my favorite character. So yeah, I actually have gotten to do that before. Nice. Yeah. I'm a little bit close to, um, I'm a little bit close to, uh, Yoda. A little Yoda. Bit. Yeah, Gosh. I can see that. He's a good, it's a great character. That's a great character. That was a pretty mm. good impression too. Dash a dash. <laughs> nice. I'm trying. All right. Bye. Thanks. Hello. Good morning. Uh, so what do you find significant about the setting of Tatooine? I, you know, it's funny. Uh, Luke calls it in, in, in A New Hope, he calls it, a, if, you're, if you're looking for a bright center to the universe or on the planet that it's farthest from, and yet like 90% of the movies and the stories take place there. So I feel like the significance, significance of Tatooine is, one of the things that I love about Star Wars is even the most... Uh, the, the smallest among us can make a difference. And Tatooine is such a desolate place that nobody really thinks about. And yet it is sort of the centerpiece of this, this universe and of the Skywalker family. And so I think it sort of says that no matter where you come from, you can be whatever you want to be. I think that's very important. Yeah. Is that kind of what you thought too? Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. And these are some great questions. Um, hello. Good morning. <laughs> I have a question. Do you think Jar Jar Binks is a Sith Lord? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would make yeah, it would it, it would make a lot more sense if he was, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because because Jar Jar ultimately is the one that uh, is responsible for the downfall of the Republic, because he's the one who put forth the vote. So yeah, no, yeah. I don't think he is. Um, I I think he's just a well-meaning Gungan who is just really not that bright and i never understood why anybody would put him in any sort of position of authority yeah so no i don't i don't think he's a sith lord but uh i think it would be a lot more interesting if he was wouldn't it yeah <laughs> all right thank you sure thank you i always think about the the robot chicken uh, episode i don't know if craig if you've seen that one uh you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah that's what i always think of when i think of it. i'm sorry good morning Good morning. Do you think Luke would have still confronted Vader had Yoda not died? Oh, absolutely. Uh, for well, cynically, he had to for this for a story for the story to make sense. But um, you know, he I think he knew in the back of his mind just the fact that he always sort of knew that Leia was his sister. I think he always knew that at the end of the day he was going to have to confront Vader. Um, I don't know if he would have gotten there as quickly without Yoda telling him and without Yoda dying and sort of pushing him forward. But I think he, I think he would have. Absolutely. Do you? Mm, yeah, I think so too. Okay. Thank cool. you. Sure. Hello. 
Good How morning. do you think Leia's and Luke's relationship would differ if they weren't siblings or related? Oh, wow. You know, I don't think it would be that much different. Um, I just think that uh, because I feel like they fell into, despite that kiss at the Empire Strikes Back, I think they sort of fell into a more of a friend scenario. He, he, she sort of friend zoned him a little bit uh, when Han came along. So I think that their relationship probably would have been much the same as it was uh, because at the end of the day, what ties them together is not their blood, but it's it's their uh, their experiences and their fight against uh, the Empire. I think that's more important than any sort of relation. So I, I think their relationship would have been pretty much the same. What about you? Do you think so? I think it also would have stayed the same since yeah. Han came into the picture and she seemed more attracted to him in any way. And why wouldn't she? It's Han Solo. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Thank you. You're welcome. You'll have to excuse me as I'm muting my mic to cough. I'm still getting over uh, celebration. I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, why does Princess Leia's accent change? You know, I have a good theory about this, and I think I think Mr. Dickinson would probably back me up on this. If you notice, she only uses that British accent when she's talking to the Imperials. I think that's her Senate accent. I think that is a persona that she's presenting when she is serving as a senator. And that her real accent comes through when she's just being herself, when she's talking to Han, Luke, and everybody else. What about you? What do you think about it? Um, I think what you think, yeah. Smart kid. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Star Wars Christmas special? Um, well, it's a holiday special. It's not a Christmas special. Let's let's get let's get it straight. But no, uh, I try to watch it every year. I have never gotten through it in one sitting. The only way I can get through it in, in one sitting is watching the Rift Tracks version. If any of you are familiar with Rift Tracks, um, it's, it's a bunch of guys who just sit around and make fun of movies as they're playing. And they have, they've released the Star Wars Holiday Special with their commentary on it. And if, it, it is hilarious. And it's the only way I can get through it. Uh, I think it was a noble failure. Have you ever seen it? No, I, I can't get through the whole thing. <laughs> I understand. Thank you. Yeah, it's tough. You're welcome. I would have never thought we would have gotten a holiday special question. That's awesome. First one ever. Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Um, why do you think that in A New Hope, the plot follows the droids first? Well, George Lucas always said that the, the story is told through their point of view. And I think, um, I think really from a, from a technical standpoint, I think, George Lucas knew that the kid that kids would be drawn to the droids, R2D2 and C3PO, and he designed it to be sort of a kids' movie to begin with to appeal to children. And I think maybe that's the real reason from a narrative sense. Um, I think they they sort of stand in for us because they're thrown into this without without uh wanting to be and without really having a dog in the fight, if you if you know what I mean. So I feel like that's why we meet them first. Um and uh yeah, I think that just sort of sets up the world a lot better because you see these these droids that are far beyond anything we've got in our in our our universe. What about you? What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Just them being thrown into it and that representing us because we right. are kind of thrown into the middle of the story. Exactly. Thank you. Cool. You're welcome. They always ask questions I've never thought about before, so this is this is fun. Hi. Good morning. Um. So um, in the first episode of Star Wars, why, why do you think 
The episode is called Phantom Menace. I think it's called the Phantom Menace because at that point, we don't know about Darth Sidious. We don't know that Palpatine has these things going on in the background. And so the Jedi, if they were paying attention, they would feel some sort of darkness and some sort of danger, but they wouldn't be able to know where it's coming from because it's masked so well. So I think that, to me, that's what the Phantom Menace says. What about you? What do you think about that? Mm, I think I think that's true. I think that might be why, because we don't know anything about Palpatine or anything yet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. Welcome. Good morning. Morning. What are your thoughts on Order sixty six? Um. Well, I think it was unfortunate because uh, <laughs> obviously because we lost all the Jedi. Um, I I think it's interesting that between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, there were only what like eighteen years, and in that time, the lore and the legend of the Jedi sort of fell away, where nobody thought about them. So I think. From a from a purely like tactical standpoint, I think it was very effective. But um, the way it was presented in the film, I would have preferred to see it uh, presented a little more uh, in depth rather than it just being a montage of us seeing all the Jedi die. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely anti Order sixty six, except when that's my order number at Whataburger. So uh, yeah, all right, cool. Good morning. Feel about, good morning. How do you feel about the relationship between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan? Pardon me one second. That was an interesting relationship because it's very much a, a master-student or master-apprentice relationship, but it was sort of adversarial. You, you had Obi-Wan, who was more of a free spirit, sort of a hippie, and uh, I mean, you had Qui-Gon, which is sort of a hippie, and Obi-Wan was a little more straight-laced and a little more towing the line with what the Jedi wanted. So I think it was a good yin and yang. And I think that's what makes for a good partnership. You have two, two people with opposing views that challenge one another while still respecting one another. And I think that's something we can all use in our life. So to me, it's always been almost the perfect master apprentice relationship from that standpoint. What about you? How do you feel about it? Not a lot happened. He like died immediately. So. Yeah. Yeah. True. Thank you. Right. Sure. In return of the, uh, good morning. When in, in return of the Jedi, uh, why does Luke surrender to the Imperials? He surrenders to the Imperials because that's the easiest way and the safest way to get uh, a, a face to face with Vader, and he doesn't have to bother with he doesn't have to worry about hurting anyone or fighting his way in. And it's probably the safest way for him because if he's surrendering, the assumption is that they're not going to see him as a as a combatant, as an adversary or, or a, a combative adversary, I should say. And uh, it also sort of let Vader know that he was putting himself in his hands, trusting himself with it. So I, I think it, it served double duty. What do you think about that? I, I agree with you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Sure. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so, do you think the Emperor knew about Luke and Leia before uh, the... 
That's you know? a great question. Uh, he would kind of have to, wouldn't he? Because he kind of knows everything. But I almost don't think that he did because otherwise I think he would have done more when they were kids to, to find them. So I think, I don't think he did know about it until um, probably until Luke started really um, accessing the force. And I think the reason behind that was neither one of the kids was really accessing, accessing the force or really uh, tuning into it. And so it didn't, they didn't show up on his radar. So I don't think he did know, but it would, it surprised me that he didn't. Do you think he knew? No. All right. Cool. Thank you. All right. Sure. Thanks. Hi. Morning. Um, what did you think about Anakin's mom's death? Oh man, that was rough, wasn't it? Um, uh, it, it was rough, and uh, I think it's unfortunate that it happened the way that it did, uh, because all it did was really push Anakin toward the dark side a little bit more. Uh, I think from a story perspective, it had to happen. But uh, yeah, I and it was just it was rough. That that's why I think about it. It was just a, it was rough. It was a rough way to go. Did you kind of feel the same way about it? Yeah, yeah, it, it was. It, that's tough, but it, again, had to happen for the story to progress. But I, I wish that it hadn't. Thank you. Sure. Um, you again? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about um, Anakin and Obi Wan's fight? How Anakin lost to Obi Wan and the. Uh, Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. I think that speaks to um, Anakin being overconfident and Obi-Wan just being uh, being a little better. Uh, I don't know if he was necessarily a better swordsman because they talked about how how good Anakin was with his lightsaber. But I think it speaks more to the fact that um, the Sith tapping into their rage and their anger and their hatred causes them to make foolish mistakes and Obi-Wan staying centered in the, in, in the living force and on, on the light side of the force, uh, it allowed him to, to be more focused. And uh, I think it's a really good example of, of how the, the, the pros and cons of light versus dark side of the force. How did you feel about it? Yeah. I felt like Anakin was a little too active trying to defeat Obi-Wan. Yeah. He warned him. He said, don't try it. And then he, you know, showed him why. Thanks. Thanks. Hi. Um, Hi. How, how does Luke finally become a Jedi? I think Luke finally becomes a Jedi when he throws down his lightsaber and refuses to fight anymore. To me, that's the point that he really embraced the light side of the force and, and understood what it was all about. He said, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to fight you. And that when he said, I'm a Jedi like my father before me, I think that's the exact moment when he truly became a Jedi. I agree. What do you, you agree? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Sure. What do you think would happen to Anakin if the other Jedi's found out that he married Padme? Oh, I think he would have been expelled from the Jedi Order, and honestly, he might have been a lot happier. I think that that I think we might have avoided what happened had that happened. What happened with the Sith and everything had that happened. But again, at the same time, you never know. That might have just pushed him even further toward that might've made it even easier for, for the emperor to get his hooks in him. So um, yeah, I, that, I, I kind of, that, that, I think that's exactly what would have happened, but I don't know what the, uh, the fallout from that would have been. Okay. Thank you. Sure.
Luke and Anakin are willing to risk their own lives in order to save their friends. Who do you think is braver and why? Oh, wow. I think, I think Luke is braver because Anakin's, Anakin's bravery, quote unquote, Anakin's willingness to, to, to risk his life for his friends stems from the fear of losing them. And Luke's stems from the desire to want to save them. So I think, I think Luke's is probably uh, that. I think that's ultimately why his is more successful. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Hi, what do you think of, what do you think about Anakin and Padme? Uh, Well, obviously it didn't, uh, didn't turn out too well for Padme or Anakin did it. Um, But I think, I think theirs was a relationship that was, um, kind of doomed from the start because anytime you have to keep your relationship a secret uh, that should be the first clue that it's probably not a good idea. So I think they were both pretty foolish to, to pursue it. But again, at the end of the day, we got Luke and Leia out of it. So you can't really say that it was, I guess, a bad thing, Yeah. but yeah, I still, I, it's not something I would recommend to any of you guys. I'll put it that way. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Sure. Uh, Revenge of the Sith. What do you think would have happened if Anakin never betrayed Mace Windu? Oh, you know, I think ultimately, I think the Emperor would have gotten his way one way or the other. Um, I think that uh, I think the Emperor. I don't think the Emperor would have let Mace destroy him. I think he would have. He would. I think it would have ended the the exact same way it did, except. Um, Anakin would not have revealed himself to be in league with Palpatine. I don't, I don't think Anakin's betrayal of, of Mace um, changed the outcome at all. What do you think? Uh, I thought that Mace Windu probably would have finished him. Hmm. And I think he would have tried and he might've yeah. succeeded, but like I said, just knowing, knowing Palpatine, knowing how crafty he is, I kind of feel like he probably would have just zapped him and thrown him out the window anyway, okay. but you never know. Yeah. Thank you. Good question. Thank you. Uh, hi. Morning. Who do, you, who do you think ordered the creation of the clone army? I think it was, well, obviously they, they said it was Jedi, Jedi Sifo-Dyas, Master Sifo-Dyas, and I don't think we have anything in the story to refute that, but I do think that Palpatine was ultimately behind it. I think I think the, the initial idea was his, and I think through his mach, machinations, machinations, however you want to pronounce it, um, He's probably the one that put put that in motion. So I'm going to say Palpatine. What do you think? Uh, I agree with Palpatine. Okay, cool. Hi again. Hi. <laughs> um. So, uh, So from the upcoming uh t- from the upcoming shows like Obi Wan Kenobi and mm-hmm. The Mandalorian. Are you gonna go and re- talk about those real soon? Uh, that's 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 uh, you mean on the podcast? Yeah, on the podcast. Right? I actually just did a guest spot on Mr. on Dan Zare's podcast, Coffee with Kenobi. That's how Craig and I know uh, Mr. Dickinson and I, sorry, know one another. Um, I actually just did a uh, review of the latest episode of episode four on that that went live, I think, yesterday. So if you go to coffeewithkenobi.com, you can you get to listen to me talk even more. Um, I thought it was a great episode. It was my favorite episode of the series so far. 
and it felt felt like Star Wars to me. Have you have you been watching? Oh yeah, I watched the third one. I haven't watched the fourth one yet. Oh, I'm really so looking good. forward to it because I, I like little Leia. Well, okay, definitely watch it before you listen to any any podcast because you don't want anything spoiled. It's really good. You're gonna love it. It really is. I really like it. Even the twist. I know, right? So I think we have time for maybe two more questions. I don't, I want to make sure I'm respecting your time. Sure. Okay. Hi again. Hi. Uh, so let's say you were in this perspective of Leia when first meeting Lando, would you have trusted him? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, probably not just because he came across as kind of, I don't know, kind of, the way he went about things, I, I would have thought he was charming, but he seemed like a con man to me. Mm-hmm. Would you have? No, because also when you meet a new person, you don't want to give them your full trust because you really don't know the person that well. That's true. That's true. But yeah, the uh, the hello, what have we here part always just kind of makes me go, uh, no, no, thank you. No. <laughs> Move <laughs> to the you. back of the line. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Hello again. Hi. So... I was wondering which character you find the most annoying. Uh, Jar Jar Binks easily. I think that's an easy answer. Um, he really is annoying. And if you go back and watch the Phantom Menace again, there's not a moment in the movie that he doesn't ruin in some way. And I know that that was kind of the point, but I really do find him annoying. And even more so in the Clone Wars cartoon, if you ever go to watch that, he causes even more trouble there. Jar Jar is easily the most annoying character to me, but uh, I also don't like Salacious Crumb, the little monkey lizard guy that was in, in next, sitting next to Jabba the Hutt in Return of the Jedi. He's he's kind of annoying as well. Oh, who the you... little one that laughed. Oh, yeah. I hated yeah. That. Who, who do you find the most annoying? Uh, C-3PO. Oh, I can see that. <laughs> I can definitely see that. He states the like, obvious way too much. So. Right. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Get on my nerves. So, <laughs> but thank you. Sure. Thank you. All right, Jeff, thank you again so much for joining us today. This was awesome. I could do this all day, seriously. Yeah, me too. All right, so have a great day, my friend. We'll talk again soon. You too. Have a good one. Bye. Bye, guys. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback. It really helps us get the word out about the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies.